This episode has been brought to you by Audible.com. I'm not going to do their pre-roll read. You already know what they're about. If you like audiobooks, this is the place for you. If you visit audibletrial.com slash lowres, you will get a free audiobook download of your choosing. How cool. How exciting. This is a real novelty. I bet you won't hear that offer on other podcasts. Certainly not. Alternatively, you can go over to lowres.live slash store and buy from my own new audiobook division, Bit Crush Books. How about that? Go ahead and download my 2014 novella, Practice Makes Perfect in audiobook form, as read by Nicholas Joroff, a.k.a. The Wizard of Cause. That's just one of a number of goodies that are currently in stock in the low-res store, including the fast-selling Let's Play Crewneck, which has been limited to only 40. That's audibletrial.com slash low-res or lowres.live slash store. Now, on with the show. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I am your host, Lorez, and today we are going to be discussing Black Mirror Bandersnatch. We're going to be a hit factory, like Motel, but for computer games. You heard it here first. Bandersnatch. It's an adventure game based on the Jerome Davies was a genius. See that bloke who went cuckoo and cut his wife's head off? When it's a concert piece, a bit of madness is what you need. This is our last recorded episode of 2018, and I hate the fact that I have to do this episode with a lavalier microphone, which may be why you are hearing reverb right now. I'm not in my usual studio. However, this is the best we can do for the time being. And this Black Mirror film is fresh on my mind, and I figured I would get this out of the way. So maybe it'll be a shorter episode than usual. Obviously, we're coming off the heels of two hour and a half long episodes with the critical unbeliever on Eyes Wide Shut. So anything that pales in comparison to that might be a bit of a disappointment anyhow. I want to talk about 2018 a little bit because it was a significant year for growth for everything that I happen to be working on and doing. And that is all entirely because of people like you who are listening to this right now. Movies, the videos, the website, everything that I am doing online, the hosting for those things has become self-sustained thanks to the patrons and people who are just backing everything that I've been doing for the past two years or so. Even just buying merch, t-shirts, sweaters, crewnecks, anything that I have available in the store, that is going right back into the business. Every single cent, not a penny is being pocketed for my own personal gain. It's all entirely to build lowres.live and the YouTube channel and all the programs I'm releasing next year. On the whole, though, aside from uh, business and productivity, 2018, it's just kind of whatever. You know, it, it, it was a uh, it's a year that feels like it was maybe two years. I think back to things that had occurred earlier in this year, and I'm like, oh, what was, that, that must have been uh, three years ago. Oh, no, no. It was only eight months. Perhaps that says something about the rapid decline of the culture and our society. There are many troubling things that are happening right now. Particularly off the top of my head, the one thing that bothers me the most is the payment processors on the internet deciding what meets the guidelines of appropriateness. I could very easily tie this into, oh, well, well, this feels like a Black Mirror episode, but I don't want to be one of those derivative buffoons who refers to real-life people as Harry Potter and Voldemort. No, 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 no. If you can, you should absolutely avoid looking and sounding like a pop culture philistine. You want your references to be a little more in line with early 90s Dennis Miller 
than a Tumblr blogger. We've seen this trend arise where certain people are kicked off of platforms, uh, some very deservingly so, others, you know, it's a bit of a stretch. And it has spread out to Patreon. Patreon can extinguish your account over really any reason in the book that they find to violate their terms of service. But those terms of service are subjective and very person to person in their own words. Then you take a look at a place like BitChute, which is the primary competitor to YouTube. And BitChute is a very ugly website. I would never use BitChute in a million years unless I had to. There's nothing aesthetically pleasing about BitChute or the type of content that is uploaded to BitChute. It's all very uh, low tier, if you were to ask me. But you know what? We've since learned that pointing the finger at platforms like Patreon or wh whoever it might be, fill in the blank, is kind of pointless and futile. In my opinion, we should be thanking a platform like Patreon for being so sloppy and helping us get a look at the person behind the curtain that is guiding the way that these things unfold. I'm talking about MasterCard. A lot of information has leaked over the past couple of months about MasterCard being the one to put out the hit on many of the creators we see on the internet who maybe they don't want their name associated with. And this raises a lot of questions about the global banking system. And, you know, you, you see, you get into this and suddenly you sound like Roseanne Barr on Twitter. But this is all true. This is factually accurate. Patreon outed MasterCard as somebody who was maybe giving them a subtle nudge or not so subtle nudge to get rid of certain people. And I don't know about you, but... It worries me quite a bit when the people that have control of my bank account and all the money in it are suddenly making creative decisions for these platforms and moral decisions for these platforms. I don't like that one bit. I've said it before, but I miss the days when these big corporations had no soul at all, where they didn't give a fuck about you. BitChute, for example, had Stripe removed per the request of MasterCard. And it's not a political thing. It's, it's really not. Politics might be guiding some of the higher-ups at MasterCard, but it's really f factoring into many different components of the internet. There was a hacker website that had its payment processing removed simply for being what it was. It's setting a very disturbing precedent. The long-term result of something like that will effectively be that if you are a person who wants to make a series or write something or do a movie, whatever it might be that happens to be creative, you're going to have to sterilize it in order to function without any roadblocks on the internet, without the chance of having your opportunity of monetization stripped away from you for whatever fickle reason. In a sense, you will have to disney your content and also play by the right political rules. I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like living in an authoritarian state. And, you know, that's not really my preference. The reality of that is, if the payment processors continue to remove people's forms of financial income, you will see things begin to revert back to how they were 10 years ago, which is a strong emphasis on the pre-existing media platforms. YouTube has done something wildly fascinating to me over these past couple of years where they have become the top visited website. You can't sleep on YouTube or underestimate any cachet or social cachet that really even 
a bottom-of-the-barrel YouTuber can possess. This is absolutely a way to make a living. Even with all of the people complaining nowadays that, oh, you know, you can't, you can't do anything on YouTube nowadays. You, yeah, the ad, the ad sense is, is so greatly affected. Um, yeah, but you can still work around a lot of that and build your own business from the ground up to be peripheral of whatever it is you're doing on your channel. Cinemasca, for example, is one of the oldest and the probably the most successful YouTube channel to ever spring up. And you don't even really think about it as a YouTube channel anymore. No, 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 no. The angry video game there, James Rolfe, that cretin Mike Matai, they exist outside of the general solar system of YouTube. That, that sphere is not occupied by them. And I think Red Letter Media probably falls within that same bin because they are so independent and the quality of their videos is far above the average YouTuber. But all of that can get flushed away, make no mistake. If you're too controversial, and really, what is the bar of controversy nowadays? I think it's fairly low. But the result of this independent media springing up has been a merging of different formats and different mediums. I've said it on a couple of episodes now, the distinction between a movie and a television show has started to wear away. This film, if you can call it a film, Black Mirror Bandersnatch, is now the leading example of that, where you can't put it really in one bin or another. It could very well be considered a special, an episode of the series, or a feature film. Because it was released independently, and the runtime is listed as 90 minutes. I am going to consider it a feature film, and thus it is the topic. Time is a construct. People think you can't go back and change things, but you can. Bandersnatch was directed by David Slade, who is perhaps best known for uh, directing a really unfortunate entry in that Twilight series. But he also did 30 Days of Night and a really great thriller called Hard Candy, which is essentially a worst-case scenario for pedophiles, where instead of Chris Hansen and a jail sentence in your future, you're going to have your balls lopped off by an angry girl. And so Bandersnatch I had gone into with low expectations because I was a bit of a fan. I won't say I was over the moon with those first two seasons of Black Mirror when I believe BBC or Channel 4, one of those UK networks, owned it and distributed it onto their television platform. Once Netflix took over, they lost me. Something changed in the formula, and I was not hip to that. Seasons three and four, especially four, were pathetic. Absolute drivel, and at, at, at some points, borderline propaganda, which is unfortunate for a program that had such promise to it. So I go into Bandersnatch, and the idea of this film intrigues me. Because I was a fan of those choose-your-own-adventure novels of the 90s and 80s, 70s, but uh, particularly the Goosebumps choose-your-own-adventure novels by R.L. Stein. Those were my introduction to that genre, and they were always my favorite. I know that in the past, some companies had messed around with this format for films, but they weren't really films. It was more like an attraction, like how if you go to Universal Studios, you'll get that special 40-minute Terminator 2 movie where you're in your seat, and it's all geared around the experience of that. And there's no actual narrative to it. That had happened 20-some-odd years ago, where people were in a theater. You could choose, oh, 
hit the mailman or uh, give a revenge fuck to the mailman's wife. And then you click the button, da -da 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 -da, and then a percentage of the votes will pop up on the screen. And whichever had the higher percentage among the audience would be the route to go within that film. But it had never been used within a mainstream movie. And this is the first example of that now in 2018. How well does it accomplish it? And also, how well does it balance itself as an effective story? I can tell you one thing right now. It is structurally a bit of a mess. And I am saying that not as somebody who landed on one ending and then called it quits. No, I went back into that. I spent about three hours with Bandersnatch trying to get every single ending possible. And I successfully did so. There are five endings to this movie that you can get and all kinds of different ways to get there, which was intriguing to me. It, it, it was fun, even if the content of the film itself was a bit lacking. Charlie Brooker, who is the mastermind behind the series, had written this episode. And at first I was a bit put off by the 1984, I believe it was, setting. 80s nostalgia has run its course. We need to get away from that and fast. But I will give it credit for not getting hung up on the era beyond choosing one song or another or having the lead character's occupation be a video game designer from that period. Will Poulter offers the best performance in this movie as our protagonist's colleague and his idol. And depending on which direction you go with this movie, it offers a tripping sequence. One of the better ones I've probably seen in a film where it didn't go too over the top with the psychedelics and kept it within the realm of reality, I suppose. However, by the end of the film in its five endings and all the different pathways you have to take that I explored, I couldn't help but feel that Bandersnatch felt like a beta test to this format. I do think that there is promise to it, even if depending on how the movie unfolds for you, it can be unsatisfying to very unsatisfying. There is some kind of lesson to be learned from this. And I think the overall hype about the movie is a little overstated. It's not quite as overstated as Bird Box, the other Netflix horror film that was released this week. And as a matter of fact, many people have outed Twitter accounts that were built specifically for this movie. I think they had just propped up the same week and were praising the film. And suddenly you have these Twitter accounts with like 19 followers uh, created December 18th or something and it's hundreds of thousands of retweets and shit like that it's very transparent that they clearly hired a bot farm to take care of the marketing of this terrible sandra bullock movie but i digress it's the future these kinds of things need to be done in order to affect public opinion as we know courtesy of the ruskies or the people who like to point the finger at the ruskies so bandersnatch where does it fall as far as the recent science fiction and horror films go, and also just the films of 2018, because this is something that I have been thinking about in my head. I've been counting down all of the films that I've seen this year. I've kept track and ranked them from one to 55. I have seen 55 films this year. That, that's more than I saw last year, which was around the 47 mark. But I'm looking at 2018 as a whole, and I'm looking at Bandersnatch, and Bandersnatch is probably 
more mid to bottom tier, if I'm honest. Because again, it feels more like an experiment. And at some points, it feels more like a Black Mirror episode than a full-length movie. And I did read that the quickest method of watching Bandersnatch, if you do everything correctly and get to a successful ending, will be 50 minutes long, which still qualifies technically as a feature film. Most people don't know that. People probably think it's about 90 minutes, 80 minutes. I think Cloverfield was 78 minutes or something like that. But no, 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 no. All you need is to hit the 50 minute mark and it is technically a feature film. You could go live stream yourself right now for an hour and guess what? You wanna take that to Sundance? By all means. Although we do know that nepotism plays a greater part in what movies get selected for Sundance and can than actual talent and a skill to impress with the feature. But again, I'm getting carried away on something that isn't even related to what I was just talking about. Bandersnatch is an impressive film, technically speaking, just because it does offer something different that could potentially reinvigorate this genre and this medium in general. I did find myself wanting to go back to Bandersnatch as if it was a game, even though I wasn't hot on the movie itself. I thought maybe I missed something. Maybe I could, you know, go with uh, uh, Sugar Puffs instead of uh, Frosted Flakes, you know? So it, it left me intrigued with the product of itself, which I consider a success to some degree. The fact that everybody is talking about this movie right now says something about the marketing campaign, the ideas behind it, and also Charlie Brooker as a screenwriter and creator. But again, as far as films go, it is not top tier. And I am looking back on the past couple of years of film. 2017, for all intents and purposes, was one of the strongest years of this decade. 2013 might be the best year of the decade for film, but we had pitfalls immediately following. 2014 was a great year, I believe, as well, but 2015, Ooh, that was terrible. Unbelievable year. I couldn't believe that theaters were allowed to stay open after that year. I think the box office attendance had hit an all-time low in 2015 as well, and I can't blame anybody for not wanting to go to the theater. The two best films that had come out that year were Buzzard by Joel Petroius and Beasts of No Nation by Cary Fukunaga. 2016, we started to rebound a little bit. We had Neon Demon... The Handmaiden, Paul Schrader was gearing up for his big-time comeback with Dog Eat Dog. It was a very satisfying year for film. 2017, wonderful year for film. Good time was my number one. I do have a, a video on YouTube right now that outlines my top 11 films of the year. And Good Time was number one, Blade Runner was number two, Disaster Artist number three, and now heading into 2019. 2018, it was a very mixed year for film. The top 25 or so on my list, I can look at and say these were genuinely good movies. But once we get into that 30 range, it is a hard drop off as in these movies should be avoided if possible. It's a it's it's real bad. There is nothing but muck and grime surrounding these films. I'm talking a lot of it was Netflix oriented. Uh, How It Ends is my worst movie of the year. And unless I see something within the time uh, I finish this episode and I do my best of the year episode in a couple of weeks, How It Ends was absolutely, for, for, for what it's worth, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Another movie on that list, 
was Cloverfield Paradox. What the fuck were they thinking? You know what? Cloverfield Paradox, I, I should dedicate an episode to that because I love the Cloverfield franchise. And I was very excited at the moment to hear about this movie that was going to premiere after the Super Bowl. And it, it, it apparently tied into the original Cloverfield film by having that original beast in 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 the ending. So I was I was hyped for that. I was stoked. But boy, howdy, was I let down. And I wound up getting into a Twitter argument with somebody who no longer follows me on the internet, who's a filmmaker uh, from Los Angeles, where I was talking about 12 Cloverfield Lane and the Cloverfield Paradox and how they were both originally intended to be different films. One was called The Basement and Cloverfield Paradox. I I, I don't recall. Oh, I, well, God Particle was the original name of that. And I had put that out in a tweet. And this person replied back to me, that's not true. I was like, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> These were both supposed to be their own science fiction movies. We, we, I, don't, I don't understand. It was just like this weirdly aggressive but not aggressive tweet toward me. And I think there was some kind of anger, some kind of hatred bubbling up inside since then. Uh, because again, this person has decided to wipe me of their social media. All the better, probably. But the truth was on my side. This is a fact. One of the actresses had no idea that this was going to be turned into a Cloverfield film. And that is documented on like Bloody Disgusting or, or some horror website like that. But I digress. Bandersnatch. Ooh, Bandersnatch is more middle of the road. Bandersnatch, uh, it's a fun concept. It is a, a, a good enough time to gather around with the people you love this holiday season, even though we are winding down, and mess around with this for a period of time. I do give it a light recommend just for being an experimental piece of art. As a movie, it does not succeed. As fun, it does succeed. So take that for what you will. We're going to wrap up the episode there. Again, I do apologize for the reverb here. And if the audio in general sounds different, this is not going to be permanent. I assure you of that. I just so happen to be in my girlfriend's basement right now, which is quite empty. And I couldn't get any kind of silence upstairs because uh, it's just Korean noises everywhere. But uh, we will be back next week with a normal episode and... We're going to be talking about Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson. That's a filmmaker that I detest and everything that his style stands for. However, that's not to say that I'm going to unfairly grade Isle of Dogs. No, no, no. I actually have enjoyed some of his films quite a bit. Rushmore is my favorite of his, and I enjoyed his other animated feature film, The Fantastic Mr. Fox. So, I had low expectations heading into this Isle of Dogs movie. I had gone out to Walgreens around 1.30 in the morning, and I should have known better that Walgreens would have been closed uh, at, at a much earlier time, but I didn't know that. So I went up to the door, and uh, I saw for myself that it was indeed closed, even though they leave the lights on all night. Quite strange and a waste of money, if you ask me. But there was a red box in the parking lot, and this is new, you know, Jake. The cinematologist who I have substitute for me, he does have an episode coming out soon on 8th Grade, the Bo Burnham film. He is a big proponent of this Redbox machine, and Redbox to me felt like a weird transition from the blockbuster era to downloading films on Apple Film, or whatever, whatever their, their thing is called. 
or Netflix, just regular old Netflix. But they still have red boxes out there and people use them. I guess why not if you're making Blu-rays and DVDs still. Uh, I was not aware of this, but you can buy, you can purchase, you can own DVDs and Blu-rays from the red box. And they're very cheap too. But here's the thing, here's the thing. I am all about the style and the look of things, right? I need a case, I need a cover more more specifically. And I need it to align with the rest of the cases and covers on my shelf. If you buy from the red box, it will not come with anything aside from a plastic slip that contains the disc. And uh, that's probably why it's so cheap, to be honest with you. But I was scrolling through the options and they had Black Klansman, Black Panther, a bunch of Westerns I've never even heard of before. And one of the cheaper options happened to be Isle of Dogs. And Isle of Dogs was probably the number one film I definitely did not want to watch on the flight back from Japan and Korea that was available to me. I had gone through just about everything else that was a new release from 2018, including all the Korean films that they offered. And uh, again, I'm not hot on Wes Anderson, but I, you know, it was so cheap. It was only three bucks, three buckaroos that I couldn't turn that down. So I wound up buying it. I watched it and I have some thoughts about it. I will be talking about it with a guest. So look forward to that. And in the meantime, thank you all for making 2018 a spectacular and memorable year for Lores Wonderbread, for movies, for everything that I have been pouring my heart and soul into to avoid having to go work at a Dunkin' Donuts and make cool videos and audio podcasts and everything else instead, because that is really the goal here, to turn this creative venture into a full-time job. 2019 is going to be off the walls insane. I assure you of that. So until next time, I've been your host, Lorez, and this has been Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. <laughs>